I'd like to uh, begin the meeting this afternoon by turning to the back of the hymn book and singing number 16. Number 16. O Jesus, friend unfailing, how dear art thou to me. O Jesus, friend
just ask the Lord's help. So as I was thinking about what to speak on, and I have to tell you right now that I, I sought the, some tips from my family as to this presentation. I was told not to use the term young people because it puts too great a distance between my 46 years and whatever age you may be, but I will probably not be able to refrain from using that term occasionally. I was told to be relatable. Um, and I'm not sure how well I'll do in these things. But very simply, what I would like to speak on this afternoon is the subject of friends. And I wanted to speak on this topic because it's something that I feel the younger generation is especially good at. It certainly is very important to you. You know, as you get a little older in your life, meaning transitioning from childhood to adulthood, the ties in the family perhaps uh, become a little less important for you as you gain independence and your friends become very important to you. And that's very normal and natural. And I have to say as a dad that I, I failed to perhaps appreciate this with my own children as I ought to have. And in that time period before you get married, you're really very good at at a lot of things in connection with friendship. And that's really what brought me to this topic this afternoon. You know, I look at this audience and I ask myself, how many of you would say you have close friends in your local assembly? You don't need to answer that question. Or perhaps you're younger, how many friends would you count yourself as having? Real friends. And I can't answer that. Part of the burden for this talk this afternoon is really multi-generational. I, I feel increasingly that there is a desperate need for work on friendships. And I'd like to just quote to you what the definition from Webster's Dictionary on what a friend is defined as. It says this, one who is attached to another by affection, which leads him to desire his company and to seek to promote his happiness and prosperity. And if you were to look up the meaning of friendship, because I may call you a friend, but do I enjoy friendship with you? Now this is kind of old-fashioned English, but this is what it says. An attachment to a person proceeding from intimate acquaintance and reciprocation of kind offices or from a favorable opinion of the amiable and respectable qualities of his mind. That's kind of old-fashioned, I recognize. But then it goes on and says this. True friendship is noble, virtuous attachment springing from a pure source, a respect for worth or amiable qualities. False friendship 
is a temporary attachment springing from interest and may change in a moment to enmity. And then the dictionary goes on to say there is little friendship in the world. And so I would just like to start by sharing maybe just some personal things. You know, as a young person, when, like, there I use the term, I'll try not to uh, refer to that again. Um, I, I'm, I'm here in Montreal, and you know, I have many happy memories of being in this assembly from 20-odd years ago. I was here during the great ice storm of 1998, and I vividly remember going with some of the young people uh, out to the West Island, and there was so much ice on the snowpack that we went up to the top of a hill. We didn't sled. We actually were able to uh, go down the hill on our shoes without breaking through. It was a real job to get back up. And uh, shared with some this weekend of how uh, I remember driven out of the Perry's house. I went to another young man's house in the assembly and had olives and pita bread for breakfast, which was a new experience for me. It's very kind of him. I have the memories, too, of enjoying my first um, apple cider with cinnamon sticks at Second Cup. And I know that uh, young people really enjoy going out to restaurants. When we often went to the St. John Conference growing up, one of the great memories I have of doing young people activities is going to the Pizza Hut, often in Rossay after the, after the um, hymn sings at the St. John Conference. But you know, too, just another memory I have. My brother Teddy put together a video of, for Lynn before she left the young people in Stellarton to marry me. There's a, there's a scene in that video of a bunch of young people with a carved up watermelon on their head, gorging face down in the middle of the watermelon and spitting seeds and just having a grand old time. So many memories, so much fun, so many Good things that you can enjoy and appreciate. And this is what friendship is in part. It's those happy memories of time together. And I covet that for you young people. I covet it for all of us. And I would just like to start by reading a familiar verse in 3 John. The very last verse of that hymn, of that uh, book, that is the name of a little pamphlet that gets distributed amongst us. And this is my first uh, little thought I'd like to share. It says there in the eight, in the um, the last verse of Third John, that's verse fourteen. But I trust. Verse 14, I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. Little expression. What would be the importance of this little verse? Greet the friends by name. Names are personal. The Lord Jesus knows our name. And you know, I speak as one who is very poor at memorizing names, but I think back to the many times in Scripture when the Lord Jesus very pointedly said the name of a person. 
Think of Mary after he rose from the dead. Mary. Think of Peter. Simon. Martha. Martha. He used their name. And what's so beautiful about a name is that's that personal touch. We live in a society where we aren't personal anymore. And you know, this is just an old-fashioned thing, but for myself personally, when I'm text messaging or emailing, I like to put a person's name in there sometimes because it just does something for, for me when someone uses my name when they are communicating with me. Have you called people by their name at this conference? I really appreciated the fact that there were name tags. It gives you an opportunity to say to a person their name. And often when I go into a grocery store, I notice that people have name tags on. And it's nice to say to the person, you know, whatever their name might be, Beth, John, Charlie, doesn't matter. And it startles them that you use their name. Because they wouldn't imagine that you would know it. It's personal. Greet the friends by name. But there's something else here. It says, But I trust I shall shortly see you, and we shall speak face to face. Isn't that beautiful? This is real friendship. Speaking face to face. As a person who lives in more isolated circumstances than some... I can tell you how much it means when someone comes and visits you and you can speak face to face. Oh, it just warms the soul. And I would ask you, is there somebody in your life who you haven't seen for a long time, who maybe you used to call a friend and maybe don't anymore? Have you perhaps taken the time, and this is just a challenge, to go visit them, knock on their door, say, I was thinking of you and I would like to have a visit today. Do you know what that would mean to a person? It's such a beautiful thing to speak face-to-face with somebody. I'd like to turn now to John chapter 15, very important verses in understanding what friendship is really all about. And I'd like to read from verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known Unto you. I'm going to come back to this, but I really want to make the Lord 
the first object in my remarks this afternoon. Three things in this little section on friendship that the Lord Jesus says are important as friends. And he was the sublime example of a friend. What are they? We all know one very well. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The Lord Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. What greater measure of friendship can you show to a person than to give your life for them? You can't. You can't. And we weren't friends in that sense to the Lord Jesus at all. We were at enmity with him. Sinners lost and he gave his life for us. But there's something else here. It says, I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my father. I have made known unto you. This is beautiful. The Lord Jesus says, because you're my friends, the things that I have heard of my father, I'm going to share with you. This book is living proof of that sharing. All those things that the Lord Jesus enjoyed in the bosom of his Father, he delighted to share with you and me. And you know, the last thing I would just mention is in verse 10, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Sharing, giving, communion. This is what this is. You sense the love of the Lord Jesus as you are obedient to Him in your life. The Lord Jesus was perfectly obedient to His Father and so He could abide in His love. Beautiful. Why is it that there is a lack of joy in your Christian life? And I'm speaking to all of us now in my life. Why is it that we don't feel, as it were, the love of the Lord Jesus in our lives? Could it be that we have not obeyed the commandment to love one another? And so I'd like to turn now to Some examples of friendship in the scriptures that are very familiar to us. There's nothing new here. And the first I would like to turn to is Daniel. So let's just turn over to Daniel chapter 1. And these will be very brief remarks. And I'd like to read verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the princes of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And then we'll go down to verse 12. So Daniel says, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. And that we're just going to stop there. What I would like to bring before you in connection with Daniel and his friends is influence. Influence. I look out at many of you here this afternoon. I wonder how many of you are leaders amongst 
the young people. Some of you are. And what that might mean could be something very good or maybe something not so good. But do not forget that you have influence amongst your friends. And it can be for blessing or it could be for something that harms your friends ultimately. And it's very instructive to notice that with Daniel and his friends, he took the initiative here. He purposed in his heart he would not defile himself. I understand that you heard a little bit about the dung gate last night. And I won't re, uh, go over what you heard. I only got a, a synopsis from Craig on that. But are there things in your life that defile you? If there are, those things will harm your positive influence on your friends. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. What happened? His three friends here, they all went along with what he did, and there was tremendous blessing as a result. But the key thing here is Daniel acted alone. And there may be some here who haven't purposed in their heart. And that's okay. My message is not to you at this time. It's to those of you who especially are influencers. What is your influence on your friends? If you go over to chapter 2, this is the next time we see Daniel and his friends. And we know this story, we won't go over it. But the king has a dream and he doesn't understand what it means. And that imperils the lives of Daniel and his friends and the soothsayers and astrologers, etc. And so it says in verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the Lord, of, of the God of heaven, concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows would not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. You know, here's something very nice. Daniel had shown, shall we say, a very good influence to his three friends here. Now what do we see him doing? He's wanting to pray with his friends. It's a very serious matter. But they gather in prayer as friends. And they make that request known to the God of heaven. And there is an answer to prayer. So I ask you this evening, do you pray with your friends? I have been touched often in my life by men older than me who have sat down with me and said, I'd like to pray with you, Sean. And I've often thought that when friends come to see us or visit us, how nice a thing it is to suggest that there be a moment of prayer before you say goodbye to one another. Do we know someone in the Bible who did that? The Apostle Paul? He knelt down with the Ephesian elders and he prayed. And I'm sure it was a very touching scene. Do we pray with one another? I believe this was a very important thing in the 
lives of the three, friend, three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which was their change names, of course, it deepened their understanding of spiritual things. And how do we know that? Because when we go over to chapter 3, there's no Daniel on the scene at all. Daniel does not enter into that story at all. There's a decree that goes out. Will you bow down to the golden image? And what do his three friends, Daniel's three friends, reply? Just look at it briefly, chapter 3. Verse 17, verse 16, sorry. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Here's obedience. They will not bow down because they learned that lesson, as it were, from their friend Daniel. And what a victory was gained that day. They learned that God is sufficient for all trials. There wasn't even the smell of smoke on them. And I'd like to suggest, in passing, you take a stand in this world. You will learn the sufficiency of God. He is able for the impossible. He really is. And Daniel was the one who first helped them learn that lesson. So I'd just like to point that out. It's so important. It's important not just for those of you young people, but for me. We are, all of us, in our own way, examples to our brethren for good or for ill. And the important thing is it can be such a blessing, such a help. When we purpose, as Daniel did, to take a stand for the Lord... There would be, I think, a great deal more blessing in our assemblies if we felt that. Well, let's just turn now to Jonathan and David. And I'm sure you knew that we would go over to this story. It's found in 1 Samuel. Very brief remarks. I believe chapter 18. First Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1. It came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Just two 
brief comments in connection with this little passage. Jonathan became attracted to David after hearing him speak. And you know, that reminds me of how the attraction that we will have towards the Lord Jesus in our life will grow as we learn to hear him speak in our lives. Just a little point on that. Some of us here are older, some of us are younger. Some 70 years walking with the Lord Jesus. In my case, 38. 38 years of hearing Him speak in my life. And oh, what a friend unfailing He's been to me. Watch for Him in your life. And listen to Him. He doesn't give up on you when you fall. He is absolutely a God who answers prayer. Most especially does He reveal Himself to you as a friend when you are alone. And for those of you who are struggling with loneliness tonight and this afternoon, and I have no doubt there's lonely people in this room, there is a silver lining to loneliness because in that you can find that one who knew loneliness like no other person, a watch and him was alone as a sparrow upon the housetop. His friends all forsook him and fled. I just would say, look for him in your life. Listen to his words. They're there speaking to you all the time, and he never leaves you or forsakes you. Your friends may fail, he never will. The next thing I'd like to say in connection with this is, what did Jonathan do? He stripped himself. He took his robe off, his sword, even down to his girdle. And this is the real measure of friendship. It's giving. It's giving. It's not what will you give me. It's because that person is someone you have affection for, you will give to that person. Oh, how we need to learn to give. And you know, I would submit to you that all of you here today have given in ways that perhaps many don't appreciate. Learn to look for the giving in your brethren. You'll be surprised how much you find it. And I say that because I think sometimes we dwell far too often on the negatives in our brethren. We don't realize that they do have real affection for us. But my challenge and burden, especially this afternoon, is give. Give. Your friend needs your support because they're having a difficult day. Give them your time. I'm not talking of material things. 
If they're sorrowing because they've lost somebody, just go sit with them. Don't try and lecture to them. Just be with them. I really feel we do not understand this very well at all. It is the essence of friendship. And it's beautiful to see that Jonathan stripped himself in David's presence. Now we'll go over to the next chapter, chapter 19, and it says here in verse 4, Jonathan spoke good of David unto Saul, his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee were very good. This one is an arrow to my soul, something that I have failed in greatly. Do we speak well of our brethren and well of our friends? Have you ever criticized your friend, someone you call a friend, to your friend? Go read James and see what it has to say about the devastation and hurt that is done by a tongue that spews poison. Jonathan here, in demonstrating his care and friendship for David, his friend, he spoke well to his father Saul. Was that a dangerous thing to do? It was. But that's what he did. And it's an exercise, again, to my soul. Something that has been a a topic of discussion in our marriage recently. Because I feel we fall into this so easily. Love thinks no evil. Speak well of your friends. And then we go over to chapter 20, the last thing I would like to say in connection with this friendship. Verse 42, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for as much as you have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my soul and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. This one really touches me. Friends separate and go their different ways. And I have to tell you that as I watched just not that long ago and wept, that video that was put together with many friends in that Stellarton assembly, that the things that came, came into their lives after those happy days, shattered marriages and loss, It's a memory. And David never saw Jonathan again. But something that came before me in this, in, in reading it, was for me, we have so many people in our lives who were friends in years gone by, people we counted as those we cared about. What links us to those people when we may never see them again, it's the Lord Jesus himself. The Lord watched between me and thee. That's what Jacob said when he left Laban. It's the link point. And you know what that means practically? You can pray for them. You may never see them again. 
But look back on the people you counted as friends in your life and bear them up in prayer to the Lord. How we need prayer. You know, I don't say this to boast. I've only been struck by the importance of it as an example that was shown to me in my life growing up. We pray for each of our cousins, nephews, nieces, brothers and sisters every Saturday. It's a tradition in our household with family. And when you go through the names, greet the friends by name, one by one, and you pray for them, you think about them. You start to think about what's going on in their life. And you bless them ultimately because you're bringing them before the throne of grace. People you haven't seen in ten years, five years, two years, when is the last time that you prayed for them? What a blessing. Let's just turn over now to Job. And because time is short, I'm going to skip most of what I wanted to say in connection with Job. I'd like to just turn to chapter 32. And verse 1. These three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found No answer, and yet had condemned Job. We're familiar with the story of Job. Job was going through a very difficult situation in his life. And his three friends come to support him. And there follows 29 pages of strife as Job and his three friends go back and forth. You're going through this because you're proud. You're going through this because there must be some sin in your life. Job, why are you such terrible friends? Why is God doing this to me? I'd rather die. And on and on it goes for 29 pages. And Elihu here, who sat there and listened to it all, he puts his finger right on the heart of the matter, and he says, or he realized, that the issue with Job was he justified himself rather than God. And he puts his finger on the heart of the matter for the three friends, and the heart of the matter with them is they had no answer, but they condemned Job. They had a spirit of condemnation with no knowledge of what God was actually doing 
with Job through all of this. And you know, it's very touching that he goes on and he says, just one verse in in verse 7 of chapter 33, Behold, my terror shall not make you afraid, neither shall my hand be heavy upon you. So as he begins to speak and lay bare the heart of the matter with Job and his three friends, he says, I won't be hard on you. I won't be heavy with you. He points them to God. And you know, we see so much strife amongst friends. Oh, I, I know for a fact in this room tonight, there's bickering going on. And it's not just young people. It's older people too, and it's in homes. And often, what is it? It starts with me. I don't realize that I am proud. I don't realize that in me there is something that is exalting itself and putting itself ahead of who the Lord is. And I am judgmental towards my friends and my brethren because I fail to understand and have grace about the fact that there is a loving God who is working in their life. I don't mind saying that I have really failed to see this in connection with my own family. And oh, how important it is to see that. He's working with you and me. There's that little song that we sing, He's still working on me to make me what He wants me to be. And what do we do when we see the Lord working on a person? Take out the hammer and hit them over the head. Instead of understanding that there is a God of grace working in their life. It's so nice to see at the end of the story of Job. What happens? We know this very well. Verse 8, the Lord is speaking now. He says to Job, Therefore take, sorry, speaking to the three friends, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly and that you have not spoken of me the thing which is right like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temnite and Bildad the Shuhite and so far the Neathmite went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So what happened here? Where was restoration in this situation found? Job's three friends offered a burnt offering to the Lord. Job, he had to pray for his friends. And then the strife was over. God's dealings could then be turned into a blessing poured out. How often there's this strife. And what we need to do is recognize that we need to turn our eyes to God and get right with Him. And that's the heart of the matter always. And that's how reconciliation was found. You know, that phrase, my, I've been reminded I use it too much. So. 
I hesitate to say this, but I trust I have the Lord's mind in saying it. The 1991 division had an indelible effect on my life. And it wiped out perhaps 80% of my generation. And I've been much exercised in the last year and a half in worrying, and that's not a good thing to do, that there are seeds that I see in the assembly today that were present in the run-up to that horrific situation. It's part of the reason I have this burden to speak on friends. If you read the story of Jeroboam and Rehoboam, where there was a division in the kingdom of Israel, you see there a generational divide. And the Lord allowed what happened there. Rehoboam was told that. You know, in this particular situation with Job and his friends, you have a younger brother exhorting some older people. In the story of Rehoboam and Jeroboam, you have younger people ignoring the advice of the older ones. And all I want to say about this, this afternoon, as an expressed burden, is that we need to take more time, not just to cultivate friendships amongst our peers. And I would like to sell to you, young people, you're good at that, and that's a good thing. How much do we invest, those of us who are older, in understanding those of us who are younger? How much, those of you who are younger, do you invest in understanding those who are older? Do you know how much you can learn from each other? You know, the younger, the older generation, so often is lonely. They've seen a lot, been through a lot, they've lost loved ones, they've lost friends, and would love nothing more than a visit to have somebody take the time to show a little bit of interest in them. And you would find that you can learn so much that is very beautiful from those who are older. Their stories, what they went through when they were young. And I would like to suggest that it's such a good thing to invest in friendships across generations.
Is it going to prevent us from going through something that may be ordered of the Lord? It may not. But I think scripture would suggest to us the importance of investing in those kinds of things. We need one another. We need fellowship. I'd like to suggest to you that if you are investing your time and your energy in relationships and friendships, and I have to be careful on how I say this, to the exclusion of the local assembly, that's not a good thing. The Lord puts you where you are. He has a purpose for you. And we all have so much to give to each other. What are you giving in your local assembly? How many people have you purposed that you'd like to be a friend to? It has nothing to do with whether you like them or not, because that's not the definition of friendship. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. I was going to speak, and time does not permit me, of Mephibosheth. You know, Mephibosheth was just, a, as he says to David, a dead dog. He didn't deserve kindness. But David reached out to him and showed that man kindness. And he came into the fellowship of David's table. Oh, how he gained from that act of kindness. You know, I don't know who did it yesterday, but I was quite struck. Someone left me a bag of grapes on my chair. I don't know who did it. Maybe it was an accident. People at my work know that I like jelly beans. A very good friend in the assembly actually last year made me a jelly bean dispenser. I was thinking of Teddy, and unfortunately those bright colors and quick shots of sugar have been... a. A bit of a delight for me in my office over the last year. But he invested a lot of time in making me a jelly bean dispenser, and I appreciated it. It was a random act of kindness. How many random acts of kindness do you show to other people? Such an important thing to do. And so I would just like to close by going back to John 15, because we must use the Lord Jesus as the reference point in all of these things. I want to read again, and let's consider these verses carefully. John chapter 15 and verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That's communion. It flows from obedience. To be obedient to what? Verse 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, the proof that he loved them, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, 
For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Just again to reemphasize that the Lord Jesus, he shares of what his Father was in this blessed book that I'm holding here. He delights to share it with you and me. Communion is broken when we do not love one another. When we do not display friendship as giving our lives to other people. And I've been struck, I won't go into it, this afternoon in reading the book of Philippians. If you read that book carefully, where joy is the theme, you will find many cracks in that assembly that the Apostle Paul was addressing. The concision, the emphasis on works. Let each esteem other better than themselves. There were people who were puffed up in that assembly. Worry, be careful for nothing. Concern about the Lord not being the one who meets the need. Strife between Yodius and Syntyche. I have no man naturally who will care for your state. Philippians chapter 2. Brethren who were giving the gospel out of unpure motives in chapter 1. You know, why is there a lack of joy in my life and in our assemblies? Could it be in part... First and foremost, that we have not turned our eyes to the one who is our friend, who laid down his life for you and me, and then not turned around and obeyed the commandment that we lay down our lives for the brethren. And so this is a young people's meeting. I would just like to close by saying to you that I really do appreciate your friendships and the fun times that you have. These thoughts that I've shared this afternoon are because it's a unique time in your life. And these principles of friendship, in a lot of ways, have repercussions throughout your entire life. And I really hope that you will be giving friends I really hope that you will not be friends who hurt each other through words. I really hope that you will first and foremost learn what a friend is through watching the Lord Jesus work in your life. That there won't be contentions among you and strife because you fail to see the beam in your own eye. And I just, I'm so thankful for so many in my own life who have given, been a great source of blessing. I'd like to close this meeting by singing the hymn that we know so very, very well, 23. How good is the God we adore. 
our faithful, unchangeable friend. How good is our God, we adore, our